Welcome everyone. It's it's um the time has changed. It was previously the month of August and now it is September. Here on Lessons with Mike, we have a tradition where at the start of every new month, I find Jesse in the middle of the wilderness and I tie him to a chair and I make him record this monthly movie podcast thing. So Jesse, say hello. Hi, I'm Jesse. That's true. He he knows his name. He's very intelligent. Uh, but Jesse, how many movies do you have to talk about for this month? I only got two. And they're the same franchise, is that right? Yes. Well, then I think you should have the first section. Take it away, Jesse. Ooh, I don't know, though. I think you should go first. Think I should go first? Yeah, because I'm still, like, re-reviewing. So anyway, I have three. The first one I'm going to talk about is a film called Samurai Cop. And... I thought I knew this film would be bad, but I thought it would be like the the good type of bad. Like the production value is obviously terrible. Very low budget film. The budget was only seven thousand dollars. It's sort of like a cult classic. Um, the film ended up not being enjoyable for me. Um, if you want to see all the moments that are funny, you can just look up a YouTube video of the five minutes of moments that are funny. But a lot of gratuitous sex scenes in the movie that really didn't go anywhere. Um, I don't know. I feel like it took itself too seriously. Like it didn't lean in on the absurd of the absurdness. Uh, a film like Velocip- the Velocipaster, for instance, is a much better film, even though similar production values. You have to lean in on the absurdity of it. But based on the plot, the plot of Samurai Cop is there's some sort of Japanese mafia, and then this guy uh, comes in as the Samurai Cop for some reason. It's I don't know. Maybe it was explained. You think he was in Japan at one point? He doesn't really do much with a sword. I I don't think he ever uses a sword. Or maybe he... No, no, he does. Yeah, there is one moment where he does use a sword. But, uh, I don't know. Uh, interesting movie. Uh, it was just not good. Um, I don't know. It's, but, yeah, really low budget. Not very entertaining or enjoyable. Uh, but, you know, the people involved, I'm sure, were very nice people. Uh, Matthew Caradas who plays Joe Marshall. He, you know, for many years, people thought he was dead. He just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, but uh, he is alive. And then sometime recently, Samurai Cop 2 was produced. This one has Tommy Wiseau in it and a few other actors. I haven't seen Samurai Cop 2 yet. I did start it. I got about five minutes in. My plan was to have seen both of them for this episode so I could discuss it. But I only got about five minutes into the second one before I realized that there were better things I could be doing with my time. And then I stopped watching it. Mm. Have you heard of Samurai Cop, Jesse? I've heard you talk about it, but other than that, no. But it's interesting that Tommy Wiseau is involved in it. Yeah, only in the second one, though. Uh, One of the funny parts in the movie is the nurse says to the Samurai Cop, do you want to have sex with me? And then he, he pulls up her stethoscope and whispers into the stethoscope and says, bingo. Like, the stethoscope is some kind of microphone. I don't know. Very very silly and but yeah there's um his partner is another cop i don't remember his name but he was pretty entertaining like there's a scene where the samurai cop and some guard and some uh, some people are like fighting and tussling and the other guys just kind of standing there smiling having a good time he seemed like he really enjoyed his time on set uh his name is mark frazier it looks like and the partner and the character in the movie was named uh frank washington <coughs> it looks like and this is one of the films that Robert Zadar was in. Are you familiar with him, Jesse? No, I'm not. Well, I will tell you. He is an actor who was in 
uh, Maniac Cop, mainly, is what he is known for, which is completely separate from Samurai Cop. I have no idea what it is, but uh, he has he had a condition, cherubism. It's a rare disorder that causes prominence in the lower portion of the face. So he had a very wide, uh, very pronounced jawline. So he typically played a lot of antagonistic characters in movies. And he seemed to, he took the role very seriously. Uh, I think he uh, acted well above everyone else in the movie. Unfortunately, he has, he, he did pass away in 2015. He was having some chest pains at a convention and then had to went to the hospital, unfortunately, did not survive. But uh, he, he did a very convincing performance. He, he looked very angry in all of the scenes he did. So maybe he was really angry or maybe he was just really good at acting. Who knows? But anyway, Jesse, are you ready to talk about your two? Uh, yeah, I can. <clears throat> so my next, my first movie that I want to talk about is the 1995 action video game movie Mortal Kombat. You did it wrong, Mike. Well, I did my best. Tell me about it. All right, so I want to give a little bit brief background for the audience about my history of Mortal Kombat before I begin. So, how it basically was was whenever Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe came out back, I think, in like 2008, that was my first experience to Mortal Kombat. And then also later on, I also rented Mortal Kombat Armageddon at around that same time as well, because that was the previous one before that. And if you don't know, Armageddon had every Mortal Kombat character up to that point. So it was a pretty large game for Wii standards back in like 2008, but it was pretty impressive too. You played Mortal Kombat on the Wii? Yeah, that's we rented it we rented Armageddon for a bit on the Wii. No, no, no. We played Armageddon on the PlayStation, not on the Wii. Eh, whatever. It was one of the consoles. I don't even think Mortal Kombat was available on the Wii. It was. No, there's no way. Yes. I'm gonna look that up. Mortal you Kombat. Keep talking. All right. You keep talking. I'm gonna look it up. So then later on I kinda like didn't really play any of the other future games, but I've heard awesome things about them and the fatalities of the new games are like very brutal and fun looking i'm gonna stop you right there it turns out you were right mortal kombat was playable on the wii which is just absolutely insane to me i didn't even know the wii could play these kind of games yes if you program it right i'm pretty sure and port it right i'm pretty sure you could play just about anything on the wii incredible please continue yes so anyway about a month, not a month ago, but like earlier in the year, I saw the trailer for the next Mortal Kombat game, Mortal Kombat 1, that's coming out later this month that I got for pre-order and will be playing on Early Access. So, just to get like some overviews and catch up on the story of Mortal Kombat, I played the last game, which was Mortal Kombat 11, which, if you didn't know, has mainly guest fighters from 80s action movies like The Terminator and Robocop. Now, to get into more of the meat of the program, I decided also, hey, you know what? We could go ahead and watch those old 90s Mortal Kombat movies since I had already watched the newest 2021 film whenever that came out on Max. And basically, the film is basically a retelling of the first game in which there is a tournament hosted by Outworld. And how it works is there's a tournament every, I believe it's 50 years, and Outworld has won nine tournaments in a row. If they win this next tournament, Earthrealm will be conquered by Shao Kahn. So how it works is the current protector of Earthrealm, who's the 
Lightning and Thunder God Raiden recruits three people into his allegiance so they could win Mortal Kombat. They are Liu Kang, who's a Shaolin monk, Sonya Blade, who's a U.S. mercenary, and Johnny Cage, a Hollywood actor. So they go to the Mortal Kombat tournament, and turns out the place where they have it is the island of Shang Tsung. Now, Shang Tsung is employed by Shao Kong to oversee the tournament, and a reason why Liu Kang is there is because he wants to get revenge on Shang Tsung for killing his brother, who is not actually a game character, but a movie-only character. <clears throat> so then things happen, and eventually the champion Goro is defeated by Johnny Cage. And by the way, Goro is a tall, four-armed monster. And Yeah, that reminds me. There's a <clears throat> there's an animation someone made where Goro and Machamp, the Pokemon, have a really... Oh, yes, death battle. Fight. Yeah, it's very exciting. I would encourage you all listening to investigate that further at your own discretion i think that's a really enjoyable very well done animation and death battle in general too is it part of death battle yes it's death battle oh okay well i didn't know that <clears throat> so anyway the film ends with Liu kang finally defeating shang sung and he becomes the champion of earth realm which means that the Outworld can no longer be eligible to conquer earth realm because they had to win 10 times in a row and they lost the 10th one so the movie ends with a little cliffhanger where the Emperor Shao Kong is about to invade Earth, and then everyone gets ready to fight him. And then the end credits and the famous Mortal Kombat theme that we were humming plays again, because it plays in the movie itself a couple times, and it plays in the very beginning and very end of the movie. And I think probably one of my favorite parts in that movie was when Johnny Cage and Liu Kang were in the Outworld, for something I kind of forget off. Oh, they were looking for Sonya Blade because Shang Tsung had captured her in Outworld, and they were looking for her in Outworld. And then later on, Liu Kang gets ambushed by Reptile, and there's like a really cool fight in there as well. But yeah, that was Mortal Kombat. Yeah, was... I've never seen the original Mortal Kombat films. I heard they weren't very good. Yeah, they're okay. Like, the first one, like, Mortal Kombat 95 was okay. It wasn't, like, terrible. It had great fight scenes and all that. But, yeah, that was Mortal Kombat 1995. Well, anyway, before Jesse moves on to his second one, I'm going to talk about uh, the film Saw. Wait, there's a sequel to Mortal Kombat? Isn't that what you saw? Mike, that's the joke. What? You didn't... When someone says... Wait, there's a sequel to this movie when a sequel already exists. That means the sequel is not good. What? You've never heard you've never heard someone do that before? We're going to move on. So the 2004 film Saw, as many of you are aware, Saw X is coming out this year and it's actually going to feature uh, Jigsaw coming back and doing some stuff. Now, it looked I I had seen last month I saw Spiral and I really thought it was really creative. I liked all the traps. And I figured, you know, my goal is to see all the Saw films before Saw X comes out later this year. So the original Saw film, I had expected the whole film to be like a bottle episode type situation where the two people are trapped in the room the whole time. But it was a lot more interesting than that. So basically what happens is this. The two people wake up in the room. One of them uh, says, in order for you to win, you have to kill the other guy. And there's a doctor 
and it turns out the doctor was like having an affair or in the process of having an affair. And the other guy in the room with him was an investigator who was taking pictures of him, following him around plot twist. Right. And I already knew what the plot twist was, but I still think it's pretty cool. Uh, there's a dead body in the middle of the room the whole time because each of the two men are handcuffed to either side of the room, you know, very little mobility. In the center of the room is a dead body who appears to have shot himself in the head. At the end of the movie, um, the doctor uses a saw to cut off his foot and crawl away. And the other guy, you know, is still there. And then the guy in the middle of the floor gets up was he wearing some makeup, wearing some, wearing a mask? It turns out he was the real culprit all along. But also, in addition to this, it's not just them in the room. There's other traps that the killer has done with other individuals throughout the movie that made it very interesting. And yeah, I don't, I don't think the other Saw movies will be as good. Uh, I think this is probably going to be one of the better ones. I liked it a lot better than Spiral. I thought this one was a lot more focused and... But still, the biggest thing I've noticed, and I've only seen two of these movies so far, it is very illogical, impractical. I'm going to say very close to impossible that one person with unknown quantities of resources, money and time, etc. How is this one individual able to set up all of these traps, able to exert so much influence over people? I'm really hoping that gets explored in further movies. But uh, at this moment, uh, I'm unsure about that. Jesse, have you seen any of the Saw films? I have not, but I know the famous quote. What quote? I want to play a game. Yeah, that is in, that is in the movie. You're correct. That's something that they say. And it looks like his whole the whole point of Jigsaw in this film is he's like, oh, people need to appreciate life more. So I'm giving them a choice to make them appreciate life. And I don't know. It just seems kind of sadistic and kind of cruel. I hope there's a bigger point that gets explained later on because uh, – most of these challenges are impossible to win. I mean, well, one of them, the guy had to crawl through uh, razor blades to get out, crawl through razor wire. You, you can't do that. You'll bleed out, which is just what happened to the guy in the movie. So I don't know. I feel like there isn't a larger purpose, and that's just some kind of thing that's being you know said. I feel like what's more accurate is this is just some some twisted form of of sadism that the jigsaw killer is uh, you know expressing. And, you know, implementing to his victims with the spiral movie, the traps were also pretty much impossible to escape. Uh, but I think in spiral, the motivation was a lot more clear. Oh, these these cops have done bad things. They must be punished. But, you know, it's still the same problem. It's impractical, pretty much impossible for one person to set this all up. But, yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully I'll be able to finish the rest of the, the franchise before Saw X comes out. And, Jesse, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Paw Patrol. Yes, Saw Patrol. Yeah, so Paw Patrol and Saw are coming out. The marketing teams, some marketing teams are pushing for, you know, a Saw Patrol thing. I don't feel like the two movies have a lot of an overlapping demographic, but uh, but who knows? We'll see. Anyway, Jesse. I mean, Arbenheimer about? didn't really have an overlapping over de- uh, o- overlapping demographic, and it made bank at the office. Yeah, it's still making tons of money. Apparently, I saw that Oppenheimer outgrossed Barbie. Um, in some countries on some days, but no, uh, Barbie is over a billion right now. Oppenheimer's around seven hundred million, and it's current. And I also saw that it's currently the second highest grossing R-rated movie. It's uh, incredibly likely that Oppenheimer becomes the number one 
R-rated movie. There's a non-zero possibility it hits $1 billion, but pretty unlikely depending on how things go in China and Japan. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes for sure. Surprise, it's coming out in Japan. Uh, well, yeah, you know, you. I think the film, I don't think it was disrespectful. It's a historical film. Right. And, it's, it's like respectful for all that stuff, but like there's still the history of it. Yeah. And, you know, some people, there might be some hard feelings, but, you know, it's history. You can't hide from it. You have to, you know. Accept it. You yeah. can't bury it either. Yeah. But anyway. What is uh, the next movie you're going to be talking about? Oh, yes. So the next movie will be Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So Mortal Kombat Annihilation, it came out in 1997, and it is the sequel to the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie. And let's just say that this movie was not great at all in the slightest. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so one of the main problems with the movie was there was like some behind the scenes stuff that was happening that caused some creative differences between the actors from the first movie. So just about every single character except for Liu Kang and Katana were recast. Oh, why is that? Well, I like I said, there was like some behind the scenes stuff going on with the script that the actors didn't like. Okay, like what? I don't know exactly. Oh, okay. So basically, it kick, it starts back off where the first movie ended, where Shao Kahn invades Earth. And he's also brought his wife with him, Queen Sindel. So basically, the heroes have to team up against Shao Kahn and Sindel and any other forces that they have, which, by the way, include the likes of Smoke, Cyrax, another Sub-Zero, and, an, and the return of Scorpion, which, by the way, I forget to forgot to say that in the first one scorpion and the first sub-zero were in it but in this one only sub-zero two and the scorpion come back from that okay because in the original games there's two sub-zeros and they're both brothers why are there two sub-zeros i've never played the story mode so i'm missing out on a whole lot of backstory yeah there's two brothers because they're part of a group called the lin kuei and the first Sub-Zero, his name's Bihan, and he was canonically killed in the first Mortal Kombat game. And then just about every other Mortal Kombat game where Sub-Zero was in it, it was his brother, Kwai Liang. But Bihan is still in the games as the character Noob Saibot. Oh, okay. Yeah, so is that, that all in the, the sequel movie? What was that? Is that all featured in the movie? Oh, no, just giving you some backstory. Oh, okay. So anyway, they eventually go and stop Shao Kahn and Sindel's forces. But there's not really a whole lot to talk about this movie, except that it's like laughably bad at some points. The CGI, there's like a very, very bad CGI sequence in the end. It's just hilarious, too. And also, Mike, when you get the chance, look, look up or I'll send you a link to a YouTube video called The Worst Line of Dialogue in Movie History. Oh, yeah, I know this one. It's, uh, I'm here, yes, and now you will die. Sort of like that. It goes like, too bad, you will die. Yeah, something like that. I got the words wrong. You were closer. Yes, but... there's that. that is probably an accurate take of how long that pause was in between words. Yeah. Not, uh, not the worst line, but certainly not, not good by any means. Yeah. Moving on oh, to... But what? definitely... 
but definitely to wrap up my end on Mortal Kombat, I can definitely say the twenty one film, twenty twenty one film, is better than both of them. Yeah, I've seen the twenty twenty one film. I really liked it. I liked the violent nature of it. And I liked the cheesiness. It felt like you know an actual video game. Is yeah, look how gratuitous and you know. And by, and by the way, for context, the 90s Mortal Kombat movies were only PG-13, so they didn't have the actual gore of Mortal Kombat. So then what's the point? Exactly. But like again, like, again, like I said, there were some really good moments in the first one. Hmm. Maybe one day I will uh, have to check them out. Moving on to my final film, the 2014 film 13 Sins. Uh, I have some mixed feelings about it. I think it was very well acted, very well produced. Uh, the plot, you know, it isn't, it isn't even that bad of a plot. So basically what happens is this. There's this guy. The guy is named Elliot. And Elliot is a uh, really sucky things are happening to him. Uh, on the positive side, he's about to get married. His wife's about to produce a child. On the negative side, his brother is about to have to be reinstitutionalized because he just lost his job. He doesn't have insurance. And Elliot's not going to be able to, you know, pay to keep his brother from not being institutionalized, which I, I don't know what country this is supposed to take take place in uh, or, or what the I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's a rule. I don't think people just automatically not in America. People just don't get sent to institutions anymore. But that's what's going on in the movie. So he gets fired from his job. And to make matters even worse, his father, who is a racist individual, ends up uh, have, ends up moving in with them and he just moves in and Elliot uh, you know doesn't even stop him and the whole theme of the movie early on all these things that are happening is to show that Elliot's a big pushover and you know pretty easily manipulative manipulated guy he gets a phone call from a really nice voice from George Coe who was also an archer he had a role in some other things uh, he passed away in 2015 but he is the voice on the phone that calls Elliot and says, Elliot, if you just kill this fly, you'll get $1,000. So Elliot kills the fly. The money gets transferred into account. But wait, Elliot, there's more. Now if you eat the fly, we'll give you even more money. And, you know, Elliot's like, oh, that's kind of weird, but whatever. So he eats the fly. And then he gets more money. And then at this point, you know, I'd be, I'd, I'd stop at this point. But what happens next is the voice says, Elliot, we just need you to complete 13 challenges. You've already done two. So you only have 11 more to go. You'll have six million or so dollars once you complete all these challenges. And they're not even that difficult. The first two weren't very hard. The rest are pretty simple. But if you stop at any point, you don't get any of the money. So Elliot agrees to the challenges. Challenge number three is to make a random child cry. And from there, the challenges get progressively more and more ridiculous. At one point, his challenge is to this was confusing. He had to do something involving an ostrich and a homeless person. Only they keep calling it an ostrich, but it's an emu. It's not an ostrich. I'm not a bird expert, but I know the difference between an ostrich and an emu. At one point, he has to drag a corpse into the coffee shop and give the corpse a coffee. And then at one point, he steals coffee from a police officer because he's about to run out of time to give the corpse coffee. And the voice on the phone calls him and says, Elliot, that was so cool. We're going to count that as two of the challenges. And it's just rather silly. There's no clear rules to this game. Like, oh, how does that count as two challenges? I don't know. I feel like they wanted to go with the 13 challenges because, you know, 13 is a pretty round number. Not, not like, you know, 13, but they couldn't call it the, the seven challenges. That would have been better, actually. A bad example would have been the, the four challenges. 
or the eight challenges. Well, no, eight would work. I don't know. Jesse, what's a bet? The 16 challenges. That would have been bad. But anyway, plot twist. Later on, Elliot finds out that there's another person playing the game and only one of them can get the money. So Elliot ends up having to do embarrassing things. He has to sing the communist national anthem while peeing on a flower at his wedding celebration, rehearsal, whatever. And it's, uh, I was really uncomfortable during that scene because I thought it would be some really awkward thing. I hate really awkward scenes in movies like that where you have one person, like where it's intentionally awkward. But fortunately, it pans out to where everyone just leaves and most people don't even see what what happens. And Ron Perlman is there playing a cop, trying to figure out what's going on, investigating people and whatnot. And, you know, Elliot continues on with the challenge. One of the challenges uh, ends up getting him, you know, in the prison. He escapes the prison. He loses his phone so the voice can't contact him. But he finds a a Hispanic woman. And the Hispanic woman turns out is part of the game because this organization is apparently this massive overreaching organization that just knows everything and is everywhere. And the woman says to Elliot, your challenge is to hang this clothesline. And Elliot's like, oh, that's, that's easy. So Elliot hangs the clothesline, uh, but it turns out that he hangs the clothesline uh, across a road right as a group of motorcycles are driving through. And the, the clothesline was hanged at neck level, so all of them get decapitated very graphically. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And then Elliot's like, no, no, this is a dumb game. And then he goes back to his house. He only has one challenge left. He throws his phone away. He's like, no, I'm giving up. This is stupid. This is dumb. I quit. Come to find out his, his brother, who has some who is mentally challenged, his brother is actually the other person competing. And he's like, Elliot, I have to win something. I have to win this. The final challenge is to kill a family member. Big plot twist reveal. It turns out the father, the reason the father had so much money was because he completed the 13 challenges years ago. And mysteriously, their mother died in a car crash. It turns out the car crash was intentionally caused by the father. Ooh. And they had suspected of him driving because he was drunk, but he wasn't drunk. He just drove into a telephone pole and killed her, but... And the father says, I'm going to kill myself so you can't win the challenge. And then he kills himself. And then the two brothers fight each other because, you know, they still have to kill a family member to win the challenge. And Elliot ends up killing his brother. A very sad and emotional scene. But at this point, you're thinking, Elliot's got the money. You're done. You can move on. You can accept your money and move on. Terrible things have happened. But now you have millions of dollars. There's no point in doing anything else. And this, this organization is going to cover all your legal issues, going to cover all the problems that you've caused and racked up over this time that you've been doing this challenge. What does Elliot do? For some reason, plot twist, right? It turns out Ron Perlman's character also worked for the mysterious organization. So as Ron Perlman is destroying the evidence, Elliot comes up and Elliot's going to shoot him. And then Ron Perlman says, if you shoot me, you'll lose all the money. And then Elliot shoots him anyway and loses all the money, which negates the entirety of the whole film. The whole purpose of you doing these things is because you needed money. Once the money is removed from the equation, it's all for nothing. All of this happened, and you get no benefit from this. He calls his wife at the end, and the wife is like, Someone just offered me money to kill a fly. But then I said no, because that was stupid. And then Elliot sighs, what a relief. And then it looks like he maybe dies of blood loss, maybe passes out. I don't know, the movie ends, and, and it's unlikely we'll ever know for sure what happened. 
But the whole theme of the movie is, you know, the desperation for money will push you to do crazy things. One of the psychological principles that's really expressed in this film is the foot in the door principle. You start off with something small and it leads to something progressively bigger and bigger and a snowball effect. For example, it's a manipulation strategy. These people who run the game, they want to convince Elliot to kill a family member. But that can't be challenge number one. No one's going to start off and do that. So they have to work up to that through various other challenges. The problem is, you get me to challenge three, I'm not doing that. That is absurd. Yeah, I think it's one of those movies that you really got to like watch to understand what's going on, it feels like, with all the emotional turns and all that. It's just... Elliot, you know, he's supposed to be this this weak pushover guy. So it's a little out of character that out of nowhere he's ready to start, you know, doing these challenges. Uh, personally, I think it was out of character for Elliot to do the third challenge. But I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any final closing thoughts, Jesse? Um, I'll... All I can really say is I'm really excited for Mortal Kombat 1 to come out. Yes, the game, and I'm excited for the sequel to the next uh, the, the film as well. Yes. Well, there's no release date on that movie yet. Yeah, it might be some time, and that's okay. We can be patient. We can wait. Mm-hmm. We can be patient. It's all good. Yes, all right, and, when the, and in the meantime, while we wait, we can play Mortal Kombat 11 or the new one. Yeah. Also, it's very important to, you know, remember actors are on strike. Uh, they are not being paid fairly. And we're not, this is not about the millionaire actors. It's about the regular actors who are not being paid fairly. That gets lost in translation a lot of times. People think, oh, Brad Pitt, why is he on strike? Well, they're on strike in solidarity with the regular people who also are actors, who are not making the kind of money that the top big name actors are making many actors do not make anywhere close to that amount of money you have to be in very difficult working conditions that are often unrealized but uh yeah support uh support your local actors all right well anyway that's the end of the episode bye bye bye